You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato uh, with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a very special guest with us joining us from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Jennifer Grimson. How are you, Jennifer? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. So Jennifer has a very interesting story and actually runs her own podcast as well called It's Micro Empires, correct? Yes. And uh, we definitely want to hear her story. Um, She actually was a single mother at one point who lost everything, not once, but, but twice. And the second time around, she actually rebuilt by creating small, what she calls empires, which kind of relates to the iTunes title uh, for financial independence, which we talk about a lot on this show. Uh, She created over $1.4 million. That's a lot of money in income producing investments with a W-2 job and obviously a lot of grit. Uh, In 2019, so last year, uh, Jennifer started the Micro Empire podcast to help share her story and She's going to share it with us here today on our show and to pull back the curtain and, um, you know, help other people on their path towards financial independence. So thanks again, Jennifer. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great. So tell us what, what happened. <laughs> doesn't sound so bad when you read it, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, I laugh because if you don't laugh, you cry. Uh, you know, my financial mistakes in my life were relational. So I never had, I've never been a person who wanted an expensive bag or a high-end car or lived above my means. In fact, I've always stayed inside a budget and been pretty frugal, but my mistakes were in my relationships. So the first time I lost everything was through a divorce. Um, And that's, it's very common. And my divorce uh, happened in California. I ended up relocating back to New England But to make a long story short, in 10 years, my ex-husband sued me 25 times. And I ended up with $500,000 in attorney's fees. Uh, That'll do it really quick. And so during, uh, I also had to file for Chapter 13 bankruptcy and had to do that actually twice because it wasn't as much fun the first time. So my approach had always been just to keep, I, I was a sales executive in healthcare technology and My belief was I had sole primary custody of my children, just that I should just work really hard, make as much money so that I could pay the attorney bills to to keep this off my back and stay focused on my goals. Um, And I ultimately ended up moving back to New England where I'm from, Boston area, and then met, started working for a company here in Nashville, Tennessee, met somebody and relocated down here with my kids and my mom. And it was about that time that I realized as this was the lawsuits, et cetera, were relentless and continuing, that it didn't matter how frugal I was. It didn't matter how smart I was about money. I mean, I remember in 2008, 2007, especially here in Nashville, looking around at all of the commercial opportunities. And I just thought, this place is a gold mine. I wish I had some money. I could invest in this. And even if I had the tiniest amount of money, I could have done it. Um, and that's part of the whole real estate mindset, kind of like having that vision before it actually happens. But I wasn't in the position to do that. 
I was uh, in a relationship with someone who really wanted me to leave my job. And my kids were like early teenagers at that point. Um, well, they probably 11, something like that. And uh, that looked really attractive to me. And I was, I thought, why am I banging my head up against the wall when if I take away the one thing that clearly is wanted, my income, uh, it takes away the power. So I did. I left my job and I, I started a part-time consulting. I had to file for Chapter 13 bankruptcy again. And um, for the next four years, I just worked part-time, but I had jumped from one fire into the frying pan. So what I'd done was made, made a mistake that I talk about in one of my episodes that I call the never, ever, ever's. And I turned my financial well-being over to someone else. So when that relationship wound down, um, the one thing that I always had was I had an old 401k with $47,000 on it. So I, I was pretty sure that no matter what, I, you know, at least I could rent an apartment or put a down payment on my house. I was going to be okay. Um, but by the time our relationship ended, I was living in a house that I didn't have my name on. I was driving a car that didn't belong to me. I didn't have any savings and I hadn't worked in the corporate world for four years. And I had left that six figure job with all of the benefits, all of the healthcare, everything else. So, um, and then to add insult to injury, I had, um, my boyfriend at the time had a company. And so he said he was going to open a 401k asked me to transfer my 401k to his company, which I did. Um, he never, he never redeposited it. So that money was gone. And uh, not only was it gone, but as you know, penalties and taxes, another 18,000 in penalties and taxes. So really it was 29,000. So anyway, that was the second time I found myself at zero and had to rebuild. Um, and I talk about how I go through that. I, I talk about it step by step in my podcast. Part of leaving my corporate job and starting this podcast and, and pursuing financial independence and trying to help others to do the same is I had to make the decision to tell this story because it's not very flattering um, because I've kept it a secret all those years. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot. And now I talk to people about their money every single day. I talk to people who make lots of money, 300, 400, $500,000 a year and haven't got a penny in savings. And that is the American truth. So um, I decided first I had to rebuild. I had to rebuild my credit. That took three years. That was uh, exhausting. And then I started with my first house. And in 2014, I discovered Airbnb, which in Nashville, Tennessee, nobody would heard of it. Nobody was really doing it. I mean, there were a few people, but it was sort of very like let someone sleep on your couch kind of thing. Um, and that really is what catapulted me. I meet like inside of 30 days realized that this was going to pay my mortgage and create another entire stream of income. So I then bought another house. Um, I had bought, I had joined a real estate investors group. So I'd learned that as long as I just moved into the property, I only needed 3% down. And I'd learned that I could borrow against my existing 401k without penalty or taxes. So I would borrow the 10, 15 grand, buy a $275,000 house, move into it with my air mattress and my suitcase, set it up as an Airbnb and do it again. So I house hacked 
And those assets are what became ultimately, um, I do have other, I have land as well. And I invest, I also make investments into companies that can provide services that I can't normally do. So I invest in this luxury travel company because it gives me access to luxury travel that I would never have before. Um, but that's, those were the assets that were worth that amount of money and that were generating income. And that is basically how I dug myself out from the bottom. That's awesome. So for those of you who are not familiar with the house hacking strategy, uh, Jennifer basically did it in, it was really, it was, it was a single family homes that you were, you know, yeah. Airbnb and you were yeah. Airbnb rooms. How did that, how did that whole, how did that work? So my original house was my primary home and uh, I just heard about it and decided to create it, open it up on Airbnb and immediately booked like every weekend in 30 days. So then I was, you know, calling my mom and asking friends if I could sleep on their couch. We got, got really old really fast. Sure. So I decided to bite the bullet and just make the house completely um, Airbnb, which is a whole story I can talk to people about. And I, I don't think the short-term rental market is necessarily bad, although it's struggling right now. I still think it's a good market. Um, but I, I actually liquidated all of those assets in February of this year. So I feel very fortunate I got out of short-term rental entirely in this market. But that has a lot to do with the uh, politics in the city um, and uh, the difficulties that were happening. So yes, that was my first house. The second house was also a single family home. I always bought in transitioning neighborhoods, pretty rough neighborhoods. I still do. Um, you know, I tried, I didn't adhere to the buy the cheapest house on the street or it wasn't a rehab because I don't have those skills at all. Um, I bought new construction, but I just bought it in neighborhoods that were transitioning and just you know, gambled that it would ultimately change. And all three, I ended up with three houses and they all did. They all, those neighborhoods all became very desirable as Nashville just skyrocketed in popularity. And people don't realize this, but 70% of our um, economics here in Nashville is healthcare technology. And the other 30% is everything else. So it's all of the music, all of the restaurant, you know, gyms, whatever else is the other 30%. So there's a huge um, amount of technology and healthcare right here in Nashville. So uh, a lot of very high earners live here. Sure. And then people wanted to come on vacation, mostly because of the TV show. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, and that's how Nashville was discovered uh, or more discovered. Um, so can you talk about, so you, you bought your, your first house hack, which turned into an Airbnb. And then you mentioned you had a total of three. Can you talk about the remaining two? Were those, like you said, the new construction? And it was, was it more of the same strategy that you undertook? Yeah, they were all, well, no, the first one was not the new construction. It was a little bit older, but it had been a rental, but not very old at all. Uh, the second and the third were both brand new construction. Um, and that's, that's largely about who I, I am. And I knew, I'd known enough about being entrenched in that business and I needed to have like a beautiful home because the, the quality of the experience changed in just five years. You know, it used to be you would settle for anybody's house and their pictures would be out, their food is in the fridge. Well, people don't vacation like that anymore. I'm sure if you've got vacationed, you expect the fridge, you want it to feel like a hotel. That's not a hotel. 
So um, they were all brand new construction, but basically it was just negotiating tactics um, with each of them and then picking an area, uh, which the third home was a little bit further out than the other two were very close to downtown, which is key. Um, and when I say a little bit further out, I'm not talking like Northeast New, New Jersey further out. In, in Nashville, we don't drive more than 10 minutes ever. Like I barely drive as it is. So, um, you know, something that's more than a 10 minute ride to downtown was not acceptable for most tourists when they could catch an Uber and be there in five minutes or, you know, $6, $7 to get downtown. Um, and I lived and I just lived in each of these houses, which gave me the opportunity because you have to furnish the whole thing. Um, and I, the other hack was to not furnish it overnight, which is very expensive, but to spend six months kind of curating things from whether it's, you know, Facebook marketplace or, you know, vintage stores or whatever, and giving it a different feel because the competition just kept getting heavier and heavier and people wanted an experience. People wanted, now they want murals on the walls. So they can pose with bachelorette parties and rooftop decks with jacuzzis and fireplaces. And um, that was more competition than I really wanted to deal with. How do you manage those properties since you still own them? Do you manage them yourself or do you have a management company? So I don't own them anymore. I, I sold oh. them in February, sold them all. Sold okay. them all in February. Um, I sold them because the numbers had started, my numbers had been amazing. And I had promised myself when I hit a certain level that I would leave my corporate job. I left my corporate job in 2018, November, 2018. Between 24, end of 2014 and that date, I had basically never had an empty weekend on any house. November 18, I leave my job and November, December, January, all three houses sat empty. So that was a big sign. And, you know, obviously I'm part of a community of people who do this here. And then I'll get back to your question about managing, but I wanted to ask, answer the question as to why I sold it. But for me, and I just talked about this a little bit the other day, the only assets, the only investments I'm interested in making forever are investments that cash flow. So the minute it stops cash flowing, there are other investors that might hold on and maybe that would have been smarter. I don't know. Maybe I could have gotten more money. I don't know. But I can tell you that I, my anxiety right now, I would have been through the roof having five months of no income from those houses because I was they weren't paid off. These were houses that still carried mortgages. Um, and that, so the competition got a lot worse. I watched it for about a year and I was not happy. And, uh, and then also the changing, uh, dynamic and political shift in my city. So the city was very anti short-term rental and wrote laws that they thought were, which was crazy because the, the, the notion was it's killing neighborhoods and local investors. When the reality is I'm your, I'm the perfect example. I'm somebody who dug up from nothing because of this. I'm somebody who invested in turning neighborhoods. You know, I, the second house I bought was across the street from a guy who had a flag of a swastika in the front and the back. And nobody wanted my house. And I had a crack house literally next door with a crack pipe on my front porch. And that, I did that in all three of them. Nobody wanted these neighborhoods, but I did because I was a local and I knew how it would change. Um, so that was a mistake. And what they ended up creating was an environment where investors could come in, buy a piece of dirt that's you know, zoned commercially, and you could build um, a 15 unit, a 35 unit, 
place and then sell them individually for three to five hundred thousand dollars to individuals who want to get into short-term rental um, and just created huge competition but not only that it just I knew that the people who were buying into this at that point at that price level were gonna lose their shirts and I still feel that very strongly so um, I wanted to get out it was hard though emotionally I did hire a management company. I managed it myself for a long time, but I had a, um, a full-time job. Also, you have to know your strengths. And my strengths are not greeting you at the door with a basket of muffins. You know, my strength is collecting the money, seeing the big picture, and hiring somebody who's very detail-oriented. I had a couple of bad, and if you work in short-term rental, you'll know management is the bane of your existence because nobody cares about it as much as you do. And the management companies will make money, even if they only rent like 30% of their you know, um, supply. So fortunately, I had a good friend of mine who was getting into the business at the same time as me, very detail-oriented, came from a restaurant background. He left his business and I was his first customer. And he was phenomenal. Um, and just outperformed. And even, and he ended up now, he only does the really luxury and his properties rent for, you know, a thousand to 3000 a night on the weekends downtown, but they're lofts, you know, they're really cool in these cool buildings. Um, but that was, that, that's what I've heard from everybody. You either have to run it yourself or the other option would be to find somebody who you can who you, who you can absolutely tailor for you and your properties. No, that's great. So when you sold those properties, what did you do with, what did you do with the money now? You mentioned you invest in cash flow producing basically all year round now, right? Is mm -hmm. that, so what are you focusing on now? So I sold the properties in February and then we took a trip. We went over to Portugal and we came back and uh, COVID hit. And I still had all the cash in the bank. So I'm, what am I doing? I'm sitting on my cash. That's what I'm doing right now. I am an investor. We have an apartment complex as well. We have a 51 unit apartment complex. My husband owned a vacation property down in Florida that was beautiful. And it covered its costs. Um, and in his first marriage, it had been their vacation home. So that made sense, but he wasn't cash flowing. And I, I just was like, this asset is incredible. We did a 1031 and that's been cash flowing. I hear you talk about this is more along the lines of your listeners as well. We uh, bought that property. It's a C property. It's in a, about an hour away in Manchester, Tennessee. Um, and inside of six months, we had an offer for above like 500,000 more than what we paid for it. But wow. I had also discovered cost segregation through our friend, Yona. Yes. Uh, so we had to make the decision, do we sell now or do we jump on this cost segregation? So we jumped on the cost segregation and basically got $350,000 worth of tax credits that we were able to use up. And now we're in the process of selling it. And thanks to your show, we're either going to do a 1031 or we're going to do a deferred sales trust once I do my due diligence on that. But what I've learned and we've learned through this process, um, my husband and I, because I heard your um, Brian, your colleague, talk about how you guys work together and he's at the properties. In multifamily, you just have to know who you are, right? And I am a passive investor. I don't want to talk about HVAC units. 
I don't want to drive by. I don't want to see mattresses in the, in the yard. I don't, you know, I, I'm happy to be involved, but I'm, I'm okay possibly collecting a little bit less and being more passive because my, you know, this part of my portfolio is, is truly that it's that passive income that's coming in and you certainly can make a lot more money if you're more involved. So I'm part of an investing group and we are in the process of buying 150 units in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's three separate properties. And that has been an incredible experience. And um, I'm going to cover this in a show too. We've discovered mission-based lending, but we had our lending in place just before COVID. I'm sure you've heard this lender pulled out. We've had a buyer that we've had to talk into moving that closing date over and over again, uh, money on the line. Um, but we're still doing it. It's happening. And in the end, we ended up with a better deal. Um, and I think it's going to be fine. And, and in multi, I don't know if you're seeing this, but in multifamily here anyway, like I said, there are people who are living way above their means who are now going to be looking for, maybe I won't live in the place that has the yoga on the rooftop deck every Friday night and cocktail hour and pools. Cause it's, you know, in Nashville, it's $2,400 a month in rent. Maybe I'll move into an $1,100 place or an $800 place. Um, and that's going to be a reality for a lot of people in 30 days. Sure. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so how can people find you? How can people reach out to you? Want to learn more about what you're doing and let you know, hear your podcast. What's the best way for them to reach you? The podcast is anywhere you can find podcasts. It's called Micro Empires Podcast. My website is micro-empires.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, either under my name, Jennifer Grimson, or under Micro Empires. I'm actually making the switch. Um, I've partnered with a production company, um, and I'm making the switch and taking over all of the production that's literally happening this week. So there'll be a little bit of a shift, but I don't think that it'll be done by the time you air this, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I would love, would love to, we're going to focus on real estate, but also other ways, you know, just using your 401k investing and it's not rocket science. It really isn't. Um, you don't have to understand the stock market to make money on it. So I'm really passionate about that and just really passionate about talking to people about their money and their emotional connections to it. Sure. Oh, same here. Uh, Jennifer, did you have any mentor that sort of, you know, made you come up with this, this kind of mind shift to leave your job? Was there an inspiration for you? And I'm not sure if you mentioned that. Uh, I have a lot of mentors, some of whom know that I, that they are my mentors and some who don't like, you know, Oprah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say I do. I, my, my biggest thought on mentors is I look for people who look like me and I'm using my finger quotes, meaning if you haven't struggled, if you haven't had to figure something out, it's really hard for me to trust and respect you. Those people exist. I just don't, they don't have that something. Somebody who really helped me out in the real estate market here when I, when I first started joined the group, um, which was intimidating, mostly men. And um, not that it, it's, it still is mostly men. Not that they weren't very welcoming, but one uh, gentleman who did a group on Tuesday nights, a smaller group, and he was just buying up houses in Nashville, buying them up and buying them in the hood. And he bought like 40 of them and bought them for nothing. And then as soon as the prices went up, he moved to Chattanooga and he's been buying houses, buying houses. 
he took me and we just spent days in his car going through talking about, you know, the basics. What do you look for? Is the, is the, is the lawn mowed? Are the cars taken care of? Do you see children walking? Do you see parents walking? Because it can be a working, uh, and that's where I ended up investing ultimately is a lot of neighborhoods are working poor. That's very different than, you know, the, uh, drug dealers or anything else. There are people living in, in neighborhoods. And honestly, that's a good majority of our nation where you can make an investment and do really, really well. So yeah, I would say that was one of my mentors. Awesome, Jennifer. We're going to wrap down the show now. Uh, we'll have a link to Jennifer's podcast and uh, website and her, her LinkedIn and all the platforms in our comment section on our social media and also in the iTunes description. So you can reach out to Jennifer and uh, learn from her and um, you know understand her story and if you can relate to it. And I'm sure a lot of people uh, can relate to it, um, probably more than you think, Jennifer, um, but have been very silent about it. Um, so I encourage you to, to reach out to her and, um, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Jennifer. I hope to have you on again and see where you're at um, a year from now. I'd be very curious. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again.